All right, let's do this, folks. Welcome to the Assiniboia Downs warm-up on a Tuesday afternoon here on TSN 1290. It is a Birchwood Infinity Nissan Winnipeg Jets game day, continuing the preseason tonight out to Calgary. Most of the regulars won't be a part of the lineup tonight. Eric Comrie will start, spending some time with Mikhail Burden. It'll be a last chance to impress for a number of individuals who are likely destined for the American Hockey League down the hall with the Manitoba Moose. we got a busy show coming up. A little bit later on, we'll uh, talk some NFL with Zig Fricassi, and we'll also talk with Matt Cockle, GM of the Winnipeg guys, find out how the opening weekend went in the uh, first two installments of the new Battle of Manitoba between the Wheat Kings and Winnipeg's new Western Hockey League team. Darren Bombing joins us for the latest on bomber practice and how the team moves forward after Saturday's stunning loss in Montreal. And of course, it's game day. We'll hook up with uh, Marana Tesh of The Athletic in the 5 o'clock hour and the latest on the Flames with Scott Crickshank from The Athletic, Paul Edmonds and Brian Munns before 6.30 p.m. As far as the warm-up goes, it's Tuesday. That means you need some assistance with the waiver wire. And the latest in fantasy football, Benny Heisler, our fantasy insider from Fantasy Sports Markets, joins us at the bottom of the hour. And uh, we'll uh, get to that and some more football as well. And uh, definitely some hockey talk. Michael Remus, what's up? Yeah, lots of hockey talk going on. It's a Winnipeg Jets game day, Birchwood Infinity Nissan game day. And yes, we have a train to announce. Uh, and we you had, love that. We yeah, love that. We have it. And I, we saw Justin Falk had been told, or Brindamore, the coach of Carolina, had been told not to play Justin Falk at practice. And we were like, oh, where's where's he going? What's going on? Is there is he going to the Jets for Nikolai Ehlers? That was a trade that was uh, speculated on before. Was that really speculated on, or was that just uh, a bunch of people that were tweeting, if the Jets trade Ehlers, I'm done with this club. I mean, the Ehlers fan club is strong. I'm a member of the Ehlers fan club. Same, same. I would not have been in on that. But I guess there is a considerable well, fear that we, the Winnipeg Jets are going to need to trade some of their forward assets to bolster that blue yeah. line with all the exodus and, of course, the question mark around Big Buff. Yeah, we had heard yesterday that uh, I think the insiders reported that Cheveldeoff was looking uh, at possibly acquiring a defenseman. So I think a forward for a defense trade is one that makes sense. You know, Ehlers is one we're just you know throwing out there. Um, but no, it was Justin Falk. Uh, he did get traded to St. Louis. Uh, I was definitely a surprise. Both teams pretty deep at defense. Um, and St. Louis signing Falk to a big extension. So... He's going to play, appears on their third pair right side and make $6.5 million. So Petrangelo is a UFA, I believe, after this season. So they're going to have to keep him too. Uh, I'm not sure if, if uh, you know paying a defenseman $6.5 million on your third pair is an optimal uh, strategy. Yeah, where have cap, I seen that before? Is optimal cap management. Where have you seen that one? Oh, that might have been right here in Winnipeg yeah, okay. right. with the right side of the Jets blue line. And, hey, it's a great luxury if you've got a ton of guys on ELCs and you've got the room to, you know, have a you know just a murderer's row of, you know, top four pairing defensemen at least minimum available on all three pairs. I, I was stunned that of the extension for Falk. I mean, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But I was not thinking he was going to jump on a seven-year extension at $6.5 million a season. Um, hey, whatever. The Blues are the champs, so they've got, they've got a lot of... Uh, Doug Armstrong has a lot of goodwill with the fan base going forward. But with the looming free agency of Petrangelo, and you know what an important player he is, 
I just found it surprising that they went and committed that sort of money considering the other difficult decisions that they'll have and what they've already spent for the likes of Tarasenko and O'Reilly, although the O'Reilly deal is, deal is pretty sweet considering what uh, he was, he's been able to do. Um, it was an interesting trade. And, you know, for Carolina, they need to get away from Falk. They've got so many defensemen after they signed Jake Gardner. They get Edmondson, who's certainly a, a serviceable player that can play on your, on your bottom pairing. They get a prospect and a fifth-round pick. Um, it just goes to show you that Anaheim probably wasn't in on a seven-year extension for Justin Falk because by all accounts, they basically had a deal arranged with the Ducks for Falk. However, the Ducks weren't on his no-trade list. He said that he'd go if they got a contract extension. They didn't get it done, and uh, obviously uh, Caroline and Don Waddell moved on to the Stanley Cup champs, and uh, that's where Justin Falk will be playing in the Central Division for uh, what seems to be the next eight years of his career. Yeah, Carolina also got Dominic Bach, uh, St. Louis's first-round pick, 25th overall in 2018. For St. Louis, I think it make, does make them better this year. They are trying to repeat, but uh could get a bit messy for them going forward uh, when you have to sign, re-sign a guy like Petrangelo's a UFA. I'm assuming they'll let Bo Meester walk after this year. And Braden Shen, also a UFA after this year. And I, I'm curious of what they're going to do with him. I mean, he's been a very good player for them. Uh, he's you know behind uh, Ryan O'Reilly as the number two center, but he's played a lot with um, Tarasenko and Schwartz. So uh, some decisions coming for St. Louis. You know, it, it's amazing. And, and I realize that the history of the Jets trading with Buffalo um, is, well, obviously there's the Kane deal. I mean, the big one that you know, in a lot of ways ended up with Tim Murray getting fired. But the trade that sent O'Reilly from Buffalo – to St. Louis oh. was the most impactful move that the Blues did last year. The guy won the Consmite Trophy. I mean, he was just absolutely incredible. He's making, what, seven, seven and a half, which at the time seemed a lot. When we think about what the Jets have paid at the deadline for second-line centers over the last couple seasons and the relatively underwhelming package that went from St. Louis to Buffalo for O'Reilly, I mean, if there was ever... You know, when you're rewinding history to get in on those sweepstakes, I mean, how much different did the Jets look last year if Ryan O'Reilly and Mark Scheifele are your top two centers? Even if you have to give the likes of some young players like, you know, Ross Levick, player from the blue line, draft picks, what not to get O'Reilly done. I couldn't help but think of that watching the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. And then again, when we saw Ryan O'Reilly here in Winnipeg on Friday night. Yeah, and you're also thinking of uh, you know Game Five and Game Six of the first. I don't round. remember that. That's completely erased from my memory. When St. Louis is skating around, you're like, oh, what what could have been? But yeah, the package they traded for Ryan O'Reilly was uh, pretty underwhelming. Patrick Berglund, who uh, I think retired uh, after uh, Vladimir Saboka, so that's you know a 30 year old center, 31 year old winger at the time, and then you had a he just a quit. A, He's like, I can't take it in Buffalo. And I'm he done. had so much money left, so uh, it was uh, it was pretty odd. But, yeah, St. Louis, you know, making some moves, trying to repeat as champions, and Justin Falk, that is the news today, uh, going to St. Louis in a trade and then signing the long-term extension. The ultimate irony, just quickly to wrap up this conversation on the Buffalo-St. Louis trade of Ryan O'Reilly, was you heard how depressed he was at the end of the previous season and how the losing had got to him. And yeah. They decided that to get a winning culture, they needed to change up the dressing room, and they moved Ryan O'Reilly, and the guy ended up goes and wins the Consmite Trophy in the Stanley Cup for a team that never wanted in their existence. Pretty pretty amazing how things work, which 
is important for Jet fans to remember right now because as crazy as the situation is with the hockey club going into the final few preseason games without Line A, without Connor, and with a massive question mark of Big Buff on the blue line, things can change very quickly in professional hockey. Just ask the St. Louis Blues, who will be talking about their turnaround from being last place in the league at Christmas for decades and decades in NHL lore. Um, I am looking forward to see what happens going on with the season, but it is really hard right now, frankly, to concentrate too much on the opening roster and how things are going to look when you have three such important players not with the hockey club right now. But that's business in today's NHL, and it has been a tough road for Sheveldayoff and Simmons to get uh, signatures on contracts. Yeah, and I agree. I think you're, you know, paying attention to these preseason games when you're missing three big names. I mean, it's tough to have that uh, emotional investment. You're kind of wondering more about what's going on off the ice than it is on. But the Jets are in action tonight in Calgary. A bit of a reverse uh, of the previous game where Calgary, man, they have a lot of uh, their veteran guys, basically their top six from uh, their forwards and their defense, and you look at the Jets. Well, they're certainly not don't have as much NHL talent. Um, you know, Andrew Kopp, Mark Letestu, uh, Mason Appleton, Gabriel Bork, Christian Veselainen, and you have Chibasov as well. Um, and then on defense, I mean, Morrissey's there, Kulikov, uh, Bully will be missing a lot of the big guns like Shafley, Wheeler, Ehlers. So we'll see how this game goes. And I'm always reminded of uh, the. Uh, the Jets 8-1 loss in Minnesota a couple of years ago where the Jets brought their, I guess, B team. Minnesota had all their top guys and even put them out on a power play at the end, and which led to the, the line from <laughs> Maurice, great Maurice moment. that I love and still bring up. It was an honor to be in the building tonight. Now, I don't think we're going to be at that point. But there is a bit of a talent discrepancy in the rosters. Well, there is. And, you know, what this brings to something we've been talking a little bit off air, but we might as well get to it tonight. And that is the puck line on betting NHL exhibition hockey. Now, I, I will preface all of this with saying there are a few things more degenerate than wagering actual cash on exhibition sports, whether it's football, basketball, hockey. But I, I feel like I owe people, the, we need to tell them about this yes. because there is, you know, when you have these games with such massive discrepancies in rosters, there seems to be a big opening of value for teams. And, you know, normally you can go on, like, let's just look at this game tonight. The Jets, the Jets are plus 165 to win the game, Calgary minus 225. And that makes sense. I mean, they're a very, they're a heavy favorite. I mean, the Calgary's basically playing their NHL lineup. The Jets are basically leaving their NHL lineup at home for the most part. But there is a spread as well on many sites where you can bet a team minus one and a half. So essentially they have to win by two. So Calgary tonight in that situation is plus 125. So if you wagered 100, you would get back 225 on that. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But when you look at the discrepancies of the rosters, it is very difficult to imagine um, that these numbers shouldn't be much bigger. And, you know, there's been two times this season, this preseason, where the Jets have had, you know, most of their top guys or a considerable advantage as opposed to their opponents that have come here to Winnipeg. And we've seen the Jets win by two in both cases. One is a plus 145 money line, and the last time was a plus 165 on Sunday. 
So I'm never a guy that really gets too much into betting on your own team because it just hurts that much more when you when you lose. And God, I should have reminded myself that before I laid a little scratch in the Bombers last Saturday. But again, we're trying to move on, move on from last weekend. Um, all I'm saying is right now, wouldn't do this in the regular season, but Calgary minus a goal and a half, considering the players that are playing tonight, uh, might be tempting for folks that want to get onto Bodog. Wow. Talking about wagering on preseason hockey. I guess whatever you have to do to make the game uh, watchable, <laughs> I think, sure, I'm in favor favor of that. But there is def. I mean, Calgary, they got Gaudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, Bennett, Backlund, Frolik. I mean, that's, that is their top six forwards. And then Giordano, Brody, Hannafin, Hamannick, and a big save, Dave and Goal. So this is as close to Calgary's A team as you can get. And the Jets not icing their A team. So. I mean, Andrew Kopp's the the one basic regular NHLer. Um, we will see Morrissey. Um, Bolia will be there. Pullman, the defense a little bit. Yeah. You've got Comrie K- and Kulikov. Uh Cooley, that's right. Um, but after Kopp, I mean, Griffith, Latestu, Lapon, Gustafson, Chibasov, Bork, Harkins, Spachik, Appleton, Reichel, and Veselainen. So really, Kopp, Appleton, and Veselainen, your top players. Although I will say this, actually, Logan Shaw's not in. Logan Shaw's been awesome lately, but he's not in there as well. So um, we'll talk more about what the coach is looking to see out of tonight's game. But just that I'd mention that as we get to, and honestly, the window for those big variances in the rosters is probably closing as of tonight uh, because the final couple of preseason games, I think you'll see, um, you know, close to opening day rosters, even if the intensity of the games might not be at a regular season level. Let's take a quick timeout. We got to come back. I I got a great story from last night. I met an individual that um, you know, has a lot of his hands in a lot of pies when it comes to Winnipeg sports and entertainment history. Yesterday, at Monday Night Football, and we'll talk about the game and get you ready for Benny Heiss at the bottom of the hour. We're just getting going. It is the Assiniboine Downs warm up. Andrew Patterson with you here on TSN twelve ninety. All right, back on the warm up. Benny Heiss coming up at the bottom of the hour. Our fantasy football insider will recap all the action from the NFL and look ahead to Week Four. So Remo, last night I'm at Boston Pizza Pemina hosting Monday Night Football. Great crowd out. Showed it to Heather. Wonderful staff uh, out there. Had a lot of fun, as always. And I'm talking to a couple dudes at the bar. And I hear beside me a guy sort of jokingly go, well, should I talk to him? Is he approachable? And I kind of look over and I chuckle. I'm like, hey, how's it going? And I realize I recognize this gentleman. And he says, hey, you know, big fan. Listen to the show all the time. Great to meet you. And it uh, was longtime NHLer Ted Irvin. Oh, Yeah. So Ted was there yeah. and uh, a- mentioned, a- big fan of the warm-up. A- A.K.A. Uh, Chris Jericho's Well, dad. exactly. And this is funny. I mean, the guy has had 724 NHL games, a career that, uh, well, he did play a game in Boston, but uh, three seasons in L.A. with the Kings, then another six with the New York Rangers, finishing up with the St. Louis Blues. But honestly, right now, is far more well-known for his very famous offspring, Chris Jericho. And it was really, really cool. Ted is such a nice man. Uh, my mother and a uh, member of his family uh, go back to the Flin Flon days. So we got a little bit of info on that. And uh, But just catching up to what Chris has done, he told me that he went with, uh, he went with Chris out to Japan a few months ago for um, one of the huge matches that he did in New Japan with 30,000 people in the Tokyo Dome and was describing to me what the Japanese wrestling fans were as well, uh, what they were like and how different it is from North America. 
we got talking a little bit, and I was really prodding him. I mean, it wasn't like he just showed up to talk and tell us about all the great things Chris did. But I was, I was asking because I'm fascinated because Jericho is the closest thing to a real, like a renaissance man almost. I know that sounds funny to some of you, but I mean, he's a huge wrestling superstar. Um, he's a established actor, a TV host, star, musician. They were just opening for Iron Maiden, apparently. I didn't know that. Um, so the Fozzie guys were doing it, and uh, he's just. Such an interesting, interesting guy. I've had a chance to have him on the show a couple times here, but um, his father is such a nice man. It was great chance to talk to him. So if he's listening today, Ted, shout out to you and the fam, and great to have you last night out at Boston Pizza. That game actually got pretty entertaining at the end, Remo. Looked like it was over at halftime. The Bears' defense just punishing Washington, turnover after turnover, and then all of a sudden, Case Keenum got hot. In albeit thirty minutes of garbage time, yeah, it's garbage time. But but it really wasn't though. I mean, they were thirteen points down with twelve minutes left in the game. They went down what to about the thirteen yard line, and then Jay Gruden cooked up maybe the worst fourth and short call I can remember in recent NFL history. How do you do that? It's not the goal line. You're on the thirteen yard line. If you didn't see it last night, folks, Case Keenum. You know, if you're on the one, sometimes the the quarterback will just jump up and put the ball over the line and then bring it back. And as long as you do that, well, that's exactly what he did on a play that was nowhere near the end zone. And sure enough, one of the defenders of the Bears got his hand in there, fumbled, pick up, and that essentially was game over. But there was some there was some tight callers, I think, on the Bears sidelines as Washington came back with those touchdowns. I don't know. Are we uh, are, is the Mitch Trubisky train back rolling again after last night with three touchdowns to Taylor Gabriel? Is everything yes. okay in Chicago? Uh, it was against Washington, so he'd like to see it again. Didn't he throw six touchdowns against the Dolphins last year, Trubisky? Um, he it, knows how to pick his spots. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the, we'll wait and see about him. I think he's definitely calmed a lot of people down who have maybe hadn't seen enough from him. But yeah, three touchdowns to Taylor Gabriel. Uh, that's definitely pretty good. But Washington, they're a complete mess. Uh, will we see Dwayne Haskins uh, maybe later on this season? Um, I think it's time is sooner than later. But It was vintage case Keenum yeah. last night because Keenum at times looked amazing uh, but also made a few bad throws that ended up going the other way. And, I mean, they spotted them the, the pick six right off the bat. I mean, what a terrible way to get going. And that, honestly, I think was exactly what Adam what, – um, Nagy and Mitch Trubisky needed a little bit of a lead last night to play with it and establish the running game, get comfortable with some shorter passes, and then go from there. But the one, like, I mean, Gabriel had three touchdowns in the first half. That hadn't been done on Monday Night Football since Jerry Rice. So he's in some very good company. And I'll tell you what, that catch that he made that they had to go through the instant replay to find out whether it really was, it was initially ruled no catch. One of the best so far this season in the NFL. And uh, what a wild night for a guy. Certainly fantasy-wise, it's been a bit of an afterthought in that Bears offense. Um, he made a lot of people some money last night if they took him in uh, the weekly or maybe even in the showdown. Yeah, if you're Taylor Gabriel, you're doing pretty well. But I'm not sure how many people are starting him. I mean, he's had some good games the last couple of years, but he's a guy who's pretty inconsistent, but can have uh, those big games. So, uh, the you know, the NFC North may be the most competitive division in football right now, you have the Packers at three and zero, the Lions two zero and one, and the Vikings and Bears each at at two and one. So that is going to be a dogfight for 
uh, you know, the division lead, but also, you know, possibly two wild card spots. No doubt about it. Let's take a timeout. We'll get to more NFL talk. Ben Heisler, our fantasy insider, joins us coming up next on the Assiniboy Downs warm up. You're listening to TSN Radio 1290. All right. Welcome back to the warm up. Getting a few heaters on the text line regarding this Falk trade to the Blues. Uh, we're going to talk fantasy football with my guy, Benny Heist, right now, but I will get to a few of those. So uh, before three o'clock, uh, hit us on the Odd Shark inbox at 129090. Um, are you happy that the Jets didn't trade uh, a Nikolai Ehlers, a first round pick, and young players for Justin Falk and sign him to a long extension? Or are you irate that Falk is going elsewhere in the Central Division and the Jets still are in their current predicament? Hit me up, 129090. We'll get, some of those, get to some of those before 3 p.m. All right, let's talk NFL and welcome in my friend Ben Heisler. The uh, go-to guy for all things fantasy sports at Fantasy Sports Markets. Benny Heiss, what is up? How the heck are you? I'm good, Hustler. Happy early week four to you. It's good to uh, talk. and Good to talk after, uh, after another Kansas City Chiefs dominant victory. It just seems like this is going to just pile up and every challenge that comes in their way uh, continues to just unfaze them. It doesn't matter who's running the ball or or which wide receiver the football is going to. They just find a way to win. You know what? I, I, I'm glad we can start right here with the Chiefs because I, I've said this before. I'm not sure I've ever had – in my life as a sports fan, watching teams that I love, uh, there's a few you know, seasons and whatnot that stick out to me. Timo Solani's rookie season scoring 76 goals was magic every time you went to the rink. Um, what Pat Mahomes did last year was – pretty damn close maybe the football equivalent of that in his uh well 16 of his first 17 starts what Mahomes is doing this year is it's like a drug watching this guy play (laughs) every day and you know it doesn't matter if uh, Damian Williams is out or if Tyreek Hill is out um you know first of all credit to the Chiefs for the way they've stocked their offensive weapons but I mean, that was a very good Baltimore defense. And, you know, they went to halftime going, what the hell do we need to do to keep this team off the scoreboard? Um, I think the Chiefs answered a lot of questions on the weekend. And this is not taking any anything away from Baltimore, who I know is going to be a tough out at some point in the AFC playoffs. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good assessment. Um, and it kind of felt like you were just sort of watching the future of the game right there, right? Like, this is what a future AFC championship between Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson might look like. And it was really exciting. And the fans got by it, and everybody was really into it. And you saw a back-and-forth game, uh, even with a Baltimore defense that had been very impressive the first two games of the season. But the problem was is that you went from you know Arizona and Miami in weeks one to two to an entirely different level when it comes to Kansas City. So I, I think you're right. It's remarkable to see how Mahomes is spreading out the football that – they're finding mismatches wherever they can. Baltimore got to the point where they, you know, John Harbaugh is fully embracing the analytical world and the mathematics world to try and get any sort of advantage and as much points as they can on every single drive, knowing that that's what you have to do to compete against Kansas City. It takes coaches and it has to put them to a place where they're where, to a place of higher learning, where they have to just be able to compete against Kansas City. Like if you're a coach, you have to evolve. Otherwise, you're not going to beat the Chiefs, especially on their home turf. I'm glad you brought that up because I agree. And I was I was envious of Harbaugh uh, taking the approach that he did right off the bat. I mean, they got that touchdown. There was a penalty. They got it from the one. They said they'd go for two. And I'm not sure whether that sort of put them behind the eight ball when they didn't make it to continue trying it. However, 
I have yet to hear any logical explanation why you would go for two after scoring a touchdown when you were down 17 points. Uh, Does that make any sense to you, Ben? Have you heard a reason why that was the right idea for John Harbaugh to do? You make it, you get to nine. You're still down by nine. It's still a two-score game. And when they didn't make it, they were down 11, got a touchdown, had to go for it again, didn't make it, and then obviously the field goal was out of the equation. Yeah, it's bizarre. And again, you have to go through, and I think 538 has the entire list of situations as to when and when you shouldn't go for it. It just sounds like from the perspective of Baltimore is that every opportunity where you have an opportunity to get points is crucial. It's necessary. And if there's an opportunity where then if you convert, then the odds go slightly in your favor. Then you convert again if you're able to get in the end zone. Uh, then maybe you're looking at a situation where either you're up ahead as opposed to tied in the game. I think Baltimore was trying to do whatever they could to put themselves in the best position to take the lead as opposed to just tie with Kansas City. Maybe that's the logical explanation there. Uh, I just know that he was getting it from information from people that have math degrees and are a lot smarter than I am, and I, I trust a lot of that information coming in. I wish more coaches uh, had more of an analytical feel and embraced that information. You know, like we saw uh, with Jay Gruden on Monday night down 28 nothing, kick a field goal at the end of the half. Why? You're down 28 to nothing against the best defense in the country. Why go ahead and settle for points? At least take some shots. Sure enough, they're able to move the ball a little bit in the second half, and maybe it's a slightly different story. Well, I mean, the funny thing is, if they don't have maybe the stupidest fourth and one call I've seen in recent history that wasn't on a goal line, and they keep going. They get a touchdown, kick the convert there. They're down six, and it is game on. So, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that one too much. And listen, I, I think Harbaugh, for the most part, did the right thing. They knew they were going to need to put up 35-plus. But in a 17-point game, when you're trailing in the fourth quarter the way that team was, um, I mean, I guess it's great to, to go for the win, but... Um, that would just one didn't make sense, and uh, I've tried. I've looked everywhere to try to get an explanation why, in that scenario, it would make sense. Um, it didn't. But I'm a big Doug Peterson guy. I mean, Doug Peterson will go for yeah. two. Um, you know, down, you know, down fourteen, get a touchdown. He can go for two because again, you could make that back up. Just with the three score game, it was it was very very curious. Let's get back to last week. Uh, here's a couple for you: wide receivers. How back is Mike Evans, or was this just a, a great day to play the New York Giants defense? And is Keenan Allen the number one fantasy receiver right now? It's awfully close, right? Like it, It's a combination between what you're seeing out of Evans. I, I think Julio has gotten off to a terrific start this season. Uh, I think people might have had Michael Thomas initially in that conversation, but um, you know, once Drew Brees went down, people started to freak out a little bit. And then DeAndre Hopkins is, is rock solid almost each and every week. Um, so, but I'm with you though. Keenan Allen leading the NFL in targets almost by a wide margin. Yeah, by a lot. Yeah, Rivers is constantly looking his way, and I don't know whether that's a product of them just being a little bit more pass happy with Austin Eckler as opposed to Melvin Gordon, uh, Mike uh, Williams not necessarily taking a step in the direction that maybe people thought initially. But yeah, Keenan Allen right now almost if you're playing you know cash games in daily fantasy on a site like fantasy sports markets just because of the volume that he is seeing in a points-per-reception style for format, you have to play him at this point because you know he's going to just get a ton of volume. As for Mike Evans, we knew that the blow-up game was going to come. You called it. I, listen, I, occasionally you get some things right and, and you get some things wrong. I think I might have said, too, on the show that I, w- I was a fan of Mitch Trubisky 
uh, heading into week three. But again, you would be a fan of a lot of quarterbacks going up uh, against Washington's defense. But I, I did like Mike Evans a lot last week because you can exploit them on the outside, and, and that's exactly what they did. They controlled Chris Godwin in the middle of the field. And normally, you know, thinking about Bruce Arians' teams from the past, like, he's going, Godwin's going to lead the team in targets, probably in receptions. But Mike Evans still is that big play threat down the side. And there was evidence of that in the first two weeks of the season, but Winston just didn't connect with him. I think moving forward, it's just going to be a little bit more hit or miss uh, with Mike Evans. And Godwin's going to be the more consistent wide receiver on the team. But when they have mismatches and when they have opportunities to strike, deep Mike Evans is going to have a couple of those blow-up games that break the slate and you know last Sunday was one of them Ben um, for folks that maybe haven't heard our conversations before Ben's with fantasy sports markets uh, it's a different style of fantasy sports in the in DFS in that there is no salary cap you can pick whoever you want and I know you guys do a roster bonus for the perfect lineup and I was looking at some of the numbers that were put up by the likes of Evans and Keenan Allen last week as well as some quarterbacks uh, what uh, not to put you on the spot, but I mean, what was that? What was the the perfect lineup looking like last week on your platform, Benny? And uh, how close was anyone to uh, to making it happen? Oh man, you know what? I I probably have to go ahead and load it up, but uh, at least at least from the the Thursday through Monday slate, I got it right here. Um, there are some pretty big names on here, and I think people were actually a little bit closer than maybe anticipated. If you would have played the Bears defense in a Thursday through Monday, uh, a lot of people did. Uh, you could have had a chance. Alvin Kamara uh, and Mark Ingram are two popular running backs. Russell Wilson uh, had an intriguing matchup at home. And then Mike Evans and Keenan Allen, uh, there, there weren't any real surprise names, I would say, for, for week three. Cooper Cup maybe a bit of a surprise for the Rams. Darren Waller was the number one tight end when, you know, likely people played either George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. But now all you got to do is just throw out, you know, two, three lineups. Um, you know, there's a five-entry max for a couple of these big contests. And, yeah, you could have turned – if you had Russell Wilson, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Darren Waller, Cooper Cup, Matt Gay, and the Bears defense, or if you would have played a super flex um, where you don't have to worry about the uh, the kicker and the, worry about the kicker, uh, yeah, you could have turned like a five dollar entry into fifty thousand bucks. Did you say Matt Gay? Is there bonus points for missed converts? <laughs> he also had four made field goals in game two, Hustler. Oh, I know. That was a, a wild game. Hey, just quickly, what about Danny Dimes? Uh, Daniel Jones, quite the debut. Everyone's talking about the new Giants quarterback, and Eli's already an afterthought in Gotham City. Yeah, well, he's been an afterthought for the last three years based on his performance, so I'm glad that he's finally you know, worthy of, of being there now. Yeah, I, I was a fan of Daniel Jones uh, in the sense that I felt like he was a good fit for the Giants based on what I saw in the preseason. Now, did I think they looked like a bunch of clowns when they took them number six overall? Of course, I was in the majority there. I was laughing along with everybody else. But once you started to watch him play in the preseason, you started to understand uh, the type of system that Pat Shermer was running. It reminded me a lot of what Keith Keenum was able to do uh, in that year in Minnesota where they ended up going to the NFC Championship game. Quick, short, intermediate passes. Uh, but Jones also has the ability to run a little bit. He also has the ability to throw deep. Um, but he has really good possession wide receivers and a really good tight end on his squad. There's nobody that's going to break you deep, but you have Evan Ingram. You have um, Saquon Barkley when he gets back healthy. Sterling Shepard. Uh, Golden Tate's going to be coming off suspension after week four. Like there's, there's good weapons for Daniel Jones to be successful in this offense, and he has a great playoff schedule as well. 
if people need to find a streaming quarterback, especially now with no Saquon Barkley, I think Daniel Jones is absolutely in play. Well, let's get to a Barkley because there wasn't the huge quarterback injuries that we'd seen in the last few weeks, but I mean, he was the consensus number one pick in most drafts. Um, the drop-off is massive. Is Gallman a startable replacement, or should you be, you be looking elsewhere? I, I suppose he's startable, and it's purely based on volume and opportunity. The, the, the thing with the Giants is that you know they don't really have anybody else backing up Gallman. Like that's, he's kind of the guy. Now, maybe they'll sign somebody off their practice squad or, or sign a bum off the street just to be able to have some depth there. But you know, Wayne Gallman's in line for 15 to 20 touches, uh, until Saquon Barkley returns. Uh, so I, I, I think he's absolutely in play. One guy that I think you should keep an eye out for, uh, we talked about San Diego and, and how good of a season Keenan Allen is having. The last few weeks it's been Austin Eckler. Slowly but surely, Justin Jackson has seen his snap count go up each and every week. And you start to wonder whether or not he's going to start to get some more goal line opportunities or maybe early down work. Um, we'll see whether or not that impacts Melvin Gordon coming back. But Justin Jackson saw about 38% of the snaps uh, when he was pretty much a non-factor the first week. He's also averaging just under eight yards a carry. So I think, I think the Chargers are starting to see something and say, hey, maybe we should start to get this guy the ball a little bit in running down situations and still use Austin Eckler uh, as the dynamic pass catching back that he is. But maybe that's another guy, if you don't want to break the bank on Wayne Gallman, uh, maybe Justin Jackson is the play. Um, you, you know, you're very familiar with your Bears. Um, it was... Uh... It was Gabriel last night that went absolutely off. Um, is this just one of those blips? Is he a guy that's going to have two massive games in the season and the rest be pretty quiet? Or uh, is this just uh, a guy that you probably want to get on and uh, have in your uh, in your lineup? I, I think it's probably more the first. And I like Taylor Gabriel. Like, he's a nice fit to be able to stretch the field for Mitch Trubisky. The problem is that all three of Trubisky's touchdowns were with him basically on the run. When he's a pocket passer, he's not accurate at all. But when he's moving, all of a sudden, like, the, the thing in his brain that tells him not to think and just react shows up, and he looks like a really solid quarterback. Uh, I, I just don't trust Mitch Trubisky to connect downfield consistently, and I know he had that perfect touchdown pass uh, and a great catch by Gabriel down the sidelines, but I just think it's going to be more of a week-to-week thing. And that's kind of what we've seen with the Bears, too, right? Like, they're – they're going to find that guy that has the mismatch every week. One, one week, I think it'll be David Montgomery. Another week, it'll be Allen Robinson. Maybe at some point, they'll let Mitch Trubisky run again, and he kind of wins the game for you on his own. Um, but, yeah, Taylor Gabriel, I suppose he's a decent pickup. He's going through concussion protocol right now. But uh, he's not at the point where I feel like there's guys that are getting more consistent targets each, in, uh, each week for me to feel really secure about it. Hey, this is not really a fantasy question, but I know you're real di- dialed in on the Bears. How much pr- extra pressure is the incredible performances of Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, who were picked eight and or what seven and nine picks after Trubisky? How much yeah. more pressure is that putting on Trubisky and just the narrative around the Bears, the offense, and what is expected out of the guy that went number two overall? Everything I've heard out of Chicago is that it's substantial. Like, you know, there was a weird comment after the Green Bay game where Mitch was having his, uh, you know, conversation afterwards and, and basically saying, um, you know, I'm not supposed to talk about the uh, talk about the game. So, you know, from that standpoint, uh, he's somebody that's going to be in, in a major trouble, um, you know, for that situation just because there is a lot of pressure and there is, 
uh, a situation where, you know, if he doesn't live up to it, it's going to be a serious issue. Uh, Benny, just on the way out, looking ahead to next week, and you guys have got some great confidence at fantasy sports markets. Is there a game or two that you're focusing in on that might be uh, offensively explosive? Ah, I haven't had too much of an opportunity yet, Hustler. Chiefs-Lions has to be that game, right? I, I think so, right? Like, you're, you're playing in the Dome uh, over in Detroit, and uh, there's an opportunity where you already got some of the best speed in the NFL on an indoor track. Yeah, go ahead and, and sign me up for, for all of that. Uh, the thing about the Lions, though, is that they've played really tough. Like, I know Philadelphia put up a little bit of points, and the Lions tried as hard as they could to, to lines that game up. But I, I've been impressed, especially with Darius Slay in coverage, and I tr- certainly think he'll be shadowing Watkins. But, uh, you know, that's probably a matchup that I'm certainly going to have my eye on, no question. Well, and I'm interested in this Thursday nighter as well, and I know most of the oh, lineups yeah. that we do go Sunday through. But um, Philly at Green Bay, very interesting. And Green Bay, I'm not sure they're as good as their record is right now. And, I mean, Philadelphia, you lose this, you go to one and three and uh, with the Cowboys and their start. um, This is a huge game for Philly to try to even things up. Yeah, and we've already seen the the line in this game go down quite a bit from 47 and a half down to 45. Um, Green Bay's defense is playing incredible right now. Like, they're really, really impressive. Uh, They've already had a Thursday night game already this year, so this won't be too much of an adjustment. Um, I'm still a believer in Carson Wentz for for whatever that's worth. I, I think his wide receivers yesterday really let him down. Um, another dropped end zone opportunity for them. And I, I actually think they could surprise Green Bay um, just because their offense hasn't really started to click yet. And Doug Peterson's going to start to see some of this film and say, okay, like we finally got Green Bay's defense on film for the last two, three weeks. I think we can exploit them. So the lines moved up from three and a half to four and a half. I think people are really down on Philadelphia right now, but I do expect this to be a very competitive game. I think it's all dependent on whether or not Carson Wentz has weapons to throw to. Great stuff, Benny. We'll look forward to more from you throughout the week and another great week of fantasy sports markets. You have a good one, and uh, good luck. You as well, Hustler. Always love talking to you on Tuesday. Great stuff. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Benny Heiss, and uh, you can follow fantasy sports markets at FSM Contest. We'll come back. Hit the Odd Shark inbox and get you ready for the afternoon ride next on TSN 1290. All right, great stuff with Ben Heisler. Looking forward to, uh, well, Thursday night. That should be a great one. Packers, Eagles to get things going. Monday night, next week, the someone's got a win bowl. Cincy and Pittsburgh. <laughs> I don't know if we'll have a lot of guys starting in that one. Michael Remus, I know you wanted to touch on the Vernon Adams one-game suspension uh, handed out just as we uh, went off the air yeah. last night. Yeah, that's player of the week. Uh, yep. Vernon Adams, CFL top performer for his performance. And I don't know how we didn't, uh, you know, touch on this. You kind of glossed over it. But, I mean, Vernon Adams ripping off uh, Adam Big Hill's helmet and then swinging it at his face. I mean, is Vernon Adams the happy Gilmore of, uh, of the CFL? It was such an outrageous move. Rick and I talked about it yesterday on the afternoon ride. I mean, you can't do that. Um, Clip the guy's the face. Fact that the fact that he wasn't kicked out was just incredible and and almost unconscionable because I mean they did flag him for rough play you know whether they just didn't see him swing the helmet at him um, and apparently that's not I was under the impression that the new rules that they put in that was something they could go back and look at <laughs> apparently not um, and for what it's worth Bomber fans CFL officiating uh, said that he should have been kicked out of the game but he wasn't and of course off their the biggest comeback in Montreal Alouette's history so that was a real tough pill to take, and I don't think any Bomber fans are really going to care 
that Vernon Adams isn't in Vancouver taking on the two-win BC Lions coming up on the weekend. Yeah, but the Bo- I guess they're three-win now after that back-to-back against yeah. Ottawa. I'm not going to blame you know that he shouldn't have been there on the Bombers' loss. The Bombers, you know, they didn't score any second-half points. They had three. They blew the you know the most massive lead in the fourth quarter. That's on, on the Bombers. It's I mean it's it a, is. But is it happening? If Vernon Adams is kicked no. out. I don't think so. No, of, of course not. And that's uh, definitely too bad. But how you rip a guy's helmet off and try to hit him in the face with it and. Uh, no one seems to see it. It's uh, too too bad for the Bombers, but I think CFL acted appropriately in suspending him one game, even though he is, you know, the top performer and a star player. Hey, I got to get to the inbox. We've got a few on the Jets. Uh, here is one. Fault to the Blues. What? Hope Chevy has a plan to grab Ristolainen or Severson. Shocked. Go Jets, go, go Jets, go. Here's one that's a little more angry. Right on. Blues pick up a top four D-man while RGM once again gets caught sitting on his hands. For the record, he might be the busiest GM in the league right now. I highly doubt that he's sitting on his hands. Um, just got a great text from a friend, big Jets fan. He's like a weatherman. Doesn't matter what he does or doesn't, always has a job. Hey, listen, I mean, I'm not here to stump for Chevy. He's got a lot of things to do. But, I mean, what, what did you think last week when they got Josh Morrissey into an eight-year deal? Um, you know, all the other deals they've been. Hey, this team has been managed very well. They're in a difficult situation right now, but they haven't made the big mistakes. They're hoping to avoid that, but there still is uh, lots to lots to get going. Good luck thinking this is a playoff team. The Blues were a one-off. Well, hey, right now, are they a playoff team? Probably not, but they haven't even started the season yet, and there's a lot of, uh, lot of road to take on once the things get going for Game 1 of 82. Remo, great stuff. Thanks to Ryan Brandt. Uh, trending Topics, Sports Center. And then we'll get into three and a half hours of a game day edition of the afternoon ride here on TSN 1290 before the Jets invade Calgary as uh, preseason. Kaspersky, Winnipeg Jets hockey is live tonight here on TSN 1290.